All right, this is Brian with the Barbell Spin. I'm joined here with Derek, and we have a wonderful guest on today, Eric Hinman. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. How are you guys today? Great. Great. Uh, did you bring us some barbecue? I didn't bring you any barbecue. I'm sorry. I wish I could send it to you digitally because we did get some good stuff. We got some um, Australian Wagyu ribeyes, uh, Denver strips. Um, we got some sausage and we got some Wagyu burgers. So we're going to have a hell of a treat here tonight. Wish you guys could come out for it. Nice. I, I saw, for those who didn't know, uh, I guess you went out to a, a, a ranch or something like that. Uh, we did. Share, share what you were up to just a few minutes ago. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we went to Wild Idea Buffalo Ranch in South Dakota. It's a regenerative farm. This family's owned it for 25 years, restoring the prairie back to its orig original ecosystem. And they have about 800 buffalo that roam 36,000 acres and grass fed, grass finished, field harvested, um, obviously very good for the environment doing this regenerative agriculture. So we got to drive out into the pasture with the buffalo and then we saw the processing facility and, you know, just the whole thing of how you get the meat in your hand. It was really cool. So, you know, we've been trying to educate people on, you know, understanding where your meat is coming from because, you know, meat at the grocery store can have two very different origins and two very different consequences for both the environment and for you. Um, where we just were, we were doing an Insta Live at Proud Souls Barbecue here in Denver. They have a couple locations. They sell high-end smokers and grills. And uh, we bought a grill from them about two months ago and have literally used it every single night. We're obsessed with it. So any chance I get to hang out with those guys and chat about barbecue and spices and, you know, how to proper ways to grill meat, we do it. So we went over there and just kicked it with them for like an hour. That's well, you awesome. told me you were going to uh, bring us some meat from Wild Idea, so you owe us meat and then barbecue for tonight. So <laughs> I got you. It's going to be good when we eat, you know? <laughs> I got you. Where are you guys based? We're uh, Fairview, Tennessee, just south of Nashville. So basically, okay. yeah. Awesome. We'll be passing through Nashville, I think, in January. So let's oh, hang cool. when we're out there. I love Nashville. Absolutely. What's going to bring you out there? Uh, a company I'm working with, Blokes, this guy, Josh Whalen, um, he just moved there recently. So we're going to go spend three or four days with him, um, you know, hit some CrossFit gyms, hit some recovery studios and yeah. just kick it. He owns a lab testing company. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, uh, I want, definitely want to get talking to you know, the brands you, you work with and how you've kind of gotten into that. But uh, more near term, it sounds like you're going to be going to compete in some high rocks here in November. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got into High Rocks and, and maybe for those who don't know, what is High Rocks? Yeah, so High Rocks is uh, an event that started in Europe maybe five or so years ago that is now starting to become really popular in the U.S. And it's, it's really good if you enjoy CrossFit and running. So the way I train without specifically having to train for high rocks is exactly the way I would want to train. Um, the race is a total of 8K running, so about five miles, broken into 1,000-meter intervals. So you run 1,000, and then you do a workout station. And as you guys can see on the screen, the workout stations are ski erg, 1,000 meters, sled push, which uh, the pro division is 375 pounds, so a very heavy sled push. Um, the sled pull, I believe it's like 75 meters. The sled pull 
is 275 pounds, so also heavy. Uh, burpee broad jumps for, I want to say, like 100, 150 meters. I don't know if it shows on that so, screen that you're looking at. 80 here. 80 meters, okay. Yeah. Burpee broad jumps for 80 meters. Um, and then you row 1,000. And again, in between each of these, you're running 1,000 meters. Uh, farmers carry for 200 meters, I believe. Yeah. Um, and then sandbag lunges for 100 meters. And then 100 wall balls. So... Yeah, you're basically the running feels like running off the bike in a triathlon the entire time you're running with very fatigued quads. And then, you know, you're going pretty close to max effort on those workout stations. Um, so the run, you know, is not quite redlined. You need to leave some in the take to hit those workout stations at a pretty high intensity. It's about an hour time domain um, for the elite guys that are doing it. And yeah, again, it's just a really, really fun event where you just show up with shoes like triathlon. You know, you have a bike and your wetsuit and all sorts of gear. And there's a lot that can go wrong in a triathlon kind of outside of your control where I feel like this is just like an hour, hour and a half high intensity workout that, you know, it's it's not as daunting as showing up for a triathlon with how prepared you have to be. So you don't train any differently for CrossFit comp versus high rocks training looks the same for you. So it kind of does for me, you know, I'm, I'm more lifestyle based. Like I can yeah. do well in these, but it, you know, ultimately I'm training to feel good day in and day out. Like I'm not thinking with every training session about winning high rocks. Great if I do, but it's not really my goal at this point. Um, so I, the only thing I would do a little differently about four weeks before high rocks is I ramp my running up some, and I'll start doing some high rock simulation type workouts. So on Sundays we've been doing either high rocks or, you know, we'll do something similar, um, that really fatigues your quads and then running with fatigue quads. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you said you did some, uh, triathlons back in the day, um, how did you get into the triathlons? Um, have you always been active, you know, as a kid? Yeah, I was very active as a kid. I couldn't sit still. Uh, I'll tell you guys a funny story. So in kindergarten, the my kindergarten teacher put my desk right next to hers. And I, I went home and told my parents, like, the teacher likes me so much. She put my desk <laughs> right next to hers. And like my mom had a parent-teacher conference like a week later. And of course, it wasn't there because she liked me so much. It was because I was, I was uh, misbehaving. So <laughs> um, I've always been very active. I played three sports in high school, basketball. I ran cross-country. I ran track. I also played baseball, um, senior league and little league. And then my senior year of high school, I played football, um, played one year of basketball in college, got into weightlifting in college, but very vanity based, just bench press and bicep curls, never squatting, never deadlifting, none of the functional movements. Um, after college, I got kind of out of shape. I was driving 50,000 miles a year in my first uh, business that I started, property and casualty insurance. And I didn't really have any education around nutrition at that point. I thought Subway was healthy. Um, and in my mid-20s, I hired a personal trainer that helped me get back into uh, aesthetically good-looking shape. Um, but it wasn't really until I found triathlon that I realized that, you know, looking fit and being fit are two very different things. So, um I had a bunch of friends in Syracuse, New York that had purchased these really fancy bikes that had four handlebars on them. And more than anything, I wanted to get the bike. So I figured by getting it, I should sign up for a triathlon. So I do a sprint triathlon. 
no real background in swimming. I swam in a pool for about three weeks leading up to the race and I almost drowned in the swim. I had to backstroke and side stroke my way through it. Um, I passed a lot of people on the bike, passed a lot of people on the run because, you know, I did have the running background. I was a decent runner in high school and biking came really naturally to me because a lot of the workouts I was doing with my personal trainer that I had hired, um, when I was 25, 26, um, had prepared me well for biking. And I just got addicted to it. It really reminded me of business in that your results are directly correlated to how much purposeful practice you put in. So um, signed up for an Olympic distance that following year and started doing these mini triathlons every Wednesday night in Jamesville, New York. And I learned a really valuable lesson with those triathlons. I would win every Wednesday night after like a year and a half of doing this. And then I would show up to, you know, actual races. And this guy, Mike Corona, would beat me at every race. And I looked at this point way fitter than, than most of the triathletes because I was coming off of, you know, kind of CrossFit type training with my personal trainer. So, you know, I'm showing up with, you know, some biceps and a six pack and, <laughs> you know, a lot of triathletes, you know, they, they are not ripped, you know, they, they're good at triathlon, but they're not ripped because, you know, they're not lifting heavy weights. They're not doing a lot of anaerobic efforts. And I was doing everything hard. You know, I had this background of 30 minute high intensity workouts. So every Wednesday night, I would just rip it. But the races would come and these were longer time domains, like an hour and a half, two hour, two and a half hour races at this Olympic distance. And I would get beat. And uh, so I'm like, I don't understand why, you know, this guy, Mike, is beating me. So I ended up hiring him as my coach. And, you know, he taught me that with endurance racing, you have to slow down to speed up. So I was just doing everything in the gray zone. I wasn't doing anything hard enough and I wasn't doing things easy enough to build an aerobic engine and to build durability. So he taught me to slow down, to go fast. It's called the Maffetone method, where you do a lot of aerobic heart rate training in order to build that engine so that you can go for a long period of time, a big diesel engine. And then also by doing, by slowing down, you can add volume and volume is going to increase your body's durability. And, you know, the guys that are winning an Ironman race, you know, they can't back squat 500. They can't do any kind of anaerobic efforts, but they can go a very long distance because their body is super, super durable from the high volume of running and biking they put in. So, yeah, he backed me way off on my heart rate, made me do everything at like a 135 heart rate. And over a four-year period, I went from running uh, 8.30 pace at a 140 heart rate to running 20 plus miles um, at a 129 heart rate at a 6.20 pace. And it was from doing very little speed work. It was all just volume, building durability. So, you know, I ended up excelling at the sport by listening to him um, and just by doing a lot of a lot of value. I think that's interesting. I did some heart rate training a few years ago, um, and it's amazing how hard it is to keep your heart rate down in that 130 mm -hmm. uh, yeah. range, especially you know if you're doing those long distances. And it sounds like there's specific training that you need to do to, to kind of improve that to kind of keep that intensity up while keeping your heart rate down. Exactly. Your body is just breaking down over time. And, you know, by doing a, a lot of lower intensity work, you can go longer. So your body doesn't break down as quick. Um, and yeah, I mean, he would make me walk Hills and like, I had to back way off on what I was used to doing. And I remember early on, I was like, I don't feel like I'm exercising anymore. This is too easy. Like, am I really going to gain anything from this? And 
Yeah. I mean, if you dedicate enough time to it, you will speed up tremendously and be able to cover long distances, you know, at a, at a lower heart rate at a fast pace. Did you ever do any breathing work or technique work with breath during that time? Or is it something you've done recently? I, I did not do any type of breath work during that time period. No. Um, I think that that is important, but I, I really think that if you want to be a better runner, you have to run a lot. If you have to, if you, if you're going to be a better swimmer, you have to swim a lot. It's reps and sets, you know, that's kind of the icing on the cake. I think there is a place for it, but yeah, I, I find a lot of people asking me about that specifically. And I'm like, you know, the reason I became a good runner is because I was running 40 to 60 miles a week for four years. That's why I became a good runner. It wasn't from secret breath protocol that I had, you know? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned you started out as, you know, starting an insurance company. It seems kind of off brand, at least where you are now. Yeah. What, why, why insurance and, and what, what, you know, what was your, why would you do something like that versus where you are today? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I like to share is I think everyone in life is going to have these surviving chapters and thriving chapters. And I'm very fortunate that I've been able to find this thriving chapter, but you know, I had to build a base and I had to, you know, I had to build residual income and build an asset, you know, before I could free up the, the freedom and flexibility that I have now. And I'm grateful for this opportunity that my father gave me. He was in the property and casualty insurance business. He managed a small mutual insurance company in upstate New York. And um, he led me down that path of getting into insurance and building my own insurance agency. And, you know, I was 21 years old, just out of college. Um, I was looking to go into pharmaceutical sales where I would have just been trading time for money probably. And, you know, he pushed me in this direction of like, Hey, you're going to be able to build an asset that you can eventually sell someday. And it's residual income. You get paid the same commission every year, as long as you keep the client and you have to put some time in upfront, but each year thereafter you can put in less time. So that was why I got into insurance. And again, I'm super grateful that that was my, you know, it certainly wasn't something I was super passionate about, but it gave me after doing it for seven years, this, you know, base to be able to go off and start taking some risks and ultimately, you know, the freedom and flexibility to structure the way the, my days, the way I do now. Yeah. So when did you transition and walk away from insurance and focus more on your endeavors that you're doing now? Yeah. So I still own that business. Um, 2009, 2010, I hired someone to manage the day-to-day -day operations of it for me. And I got into software in 2010, started a software company um, called App Fury that then changed uh, names to Rounded. And we were building mobile applications for companies. I really enjoyed that. I loved the business development side of it. Um, I still love technology. I love software. I love, you know, designing digital interfaces and kind of thinking through how to solve problems with technology. So I did that from 2010 until 2014. I sold my shares in 2014. And then from there on out, it was really just passion projects. Um, I co-founded a gym in upstate New York. I co-founded a couple restaurants in upstate New York. Um, these were, you know, just inspiration from my travels that I wanted to bring to Syracuse, New York. So, you know, a gym reminiscent of the gyms I would visit when I was in New York City or when I was in LA. And the restaurant called Original Grain was similar to like a sweet green. So a place where I would eat in major cities and wanted it for, you know, me to be able to go to in upstate New York. 
Um, and then along that time period too, with the Ironman years, 2010 to 2015, I started developing a following on social media and, you know, 2016, 17 recognized the opportunity of all of us having the ability to, you know, add value and have an audience and command attention and attention ultimately is what brands are going to pay for. You know, historically they've spent money on radio and then TV and then billboards. And, you know, now this is where attention is. People are on their phones and that's where the eyeballs are. So, um, yeah, I started doing brand deals back in 2017 and realized my niche within the space, having been a business owner, having invested in businesses, just understanding that, you know, if someone's going to pay me, I have to provide ROI. So, you know, all of my deals are structured more like consulting arrangements where I'm introducing them to distribution channels, um, helping them raise money if they're in that stage of the business. I'm seeding product for them, creating content that they can use. Um, so just acting more than just an influencer for them, like really helping them build their brand and build their business. So go ahead, Derek, if you have. Yeah, I was just going to say, so you posted, I was very interested about this. A couple of days ago, you were saying about 15 years ago, you kind of went all in on you know, not just fitness, but recovery and all aspects of optimizing human performance. Yep. I'm really curious, was there a catalyst that led to that? Was there kind of this tipping point moment for you that you said, this, I've got to get everything together. I've kind of got to push all my chips in on this. Definitely was. Um, so ultimately, Iron Man. Um, I realized that I had an opportunity to really, really excel at something. And, you know, that was kind of the first time in my life where I realized like, wow, I could be world class at this. And, you know, back then, every training session, I was thinking about Kona. I was thinking about getting to the world championships and, you know, being this Kona Ironman athlete. So that's really when my life shifted towards health and wellness, structuring my days around those training sessions, structuring my days around nutrition, recovery, sleep. And each year I tackled something new. You know, one full year I focused on how can I get the best sleep? One full year was dabbling with different diets to land on something that really worked for me. So it wasn't like all of this came at once. It really was a five-year progression of habit stacking and, you know, tackling one thing, making that a habit, and then moving on to the next wellness routine to figure out again what worked for me. But ultimately through those years, what I realized was, you know, prior to that, you know, I was drinking and partying and doing those things that most 20 year olds do. And that's what was fueling my vulnerability. And that's what I felt I needed to do to meet people. And through Ironman and through exercise, I, I realized I had the same vulnerability and I, I really felt like I was the best version of myself through things that were good for me instead of things that were bad for me. So, you know, I think that five-year time period, I kind of unlocked this mental clarity of, wow, exercise, recovery, eating well, sleep, all of these things are really making me the best version of myself. I don't need to use alcohol to fuel vulnerability or alcohol to, you know, unlock my funny side. Like I'm, I'm the best version of me, you know, through doing these various protocols. And, you know, that's the big message I try to preach now is that, you know, by, by implementing these practices, the aesthetic is a byproduct. I do this because I feel amazing day in and day out, um, mentally, physically, emotionally. You talked about your 
find the right diet and, and food. Where are you today in that journey? So back then it was a very high fat diet and that was specifically to teach, to teach my body to burn fat for fuel during those Ironman years. Um, I wasn't eating very many carbs, uh, which, you know, uh, oftentimes people are like, wow, you're exercising that much on that low carb diet, but Ironman, you know, you're, you're burning fat for fuel. Oftentimes I'm at a 130, 140 heart rate. So I'm not burning glycogen. I'm not burning through carbs like you would with a CrossFit workout or with doing heavy weights. So now my diet is drastically different. I have prioritized strength training, anaerobic conditioning. So, you know, much more carbs than what I was fueling with back then. But, you know, I think we all know what to eat, like whole foods, you know, eat, you know, grass fed, grass finished meat, eat wild salmon, um, chicken. Uh, you know, I eat vegetables. I'm not one of these like just meat eaters. I do eat vegetables. I think there is a, a, a place for vegetables in your diet with the fiber and the nutrients they offer fruit. I love, um, you know, I try to stay away from processed foods and refined sugars and, you know, things that make me feel like shit and make most of us feel like shit afterwards. Um, but yeah, higher protein diet now, higher carb diet than those Ironman years. And I build my calories throughout the day. I found that I have the most mental clarity when I have less food volume. So, you know, typically throughout the day, I'm either doing smoothies or, you know, eggs. And then at night, I'll have a bigger dinner where I'm having, you know, red meat, chicken, salmon, potatoes or rice for a carb, and then some vegetable. So walk us through, you know, kind of tackled the diet piece of this, but walk us through just what a typical day looks like for you. Sure. So I don't wake up with an alarm. I get up around 6 a.m. just kind of naturally. I don't schedule anything before 8.30 just in case my body does want that time to sleep in. Um, and then the first thing I do, I kiss my girlfriend, kiss my dog, who are usually uh, huddled up right next to me. Our dog literally sleeps on the pillows in between us. And she's not a small dog. She's about 50 pounds blaze. Does she have frisbees um, in the bed? I have to she ask. has frisbees in the, she has frisbees in every room of the house. She is the frisbee queen. She can fit about nine in her mouth at one time. It's pretty impressive. Um, so I go downstairs and the first thing I do is drink some water and make espresso. Um, I like to build my day around what I call tiny wins. And that first tiny win is, is pouring espresso. I like skill-based activities where there's room for incremental improvement. So uh, we have a fancy espresso machine. I make espresso for both of us and take my supplements. And then 8.30, um, in the gym. Uh, I've been training at a place called V23 here in Colorado lately. Um, I love the energy there, the chemistry I have with the other people that I'm training with. And, you know, we're all following the same program. So we're on the same page. And that first workout is about 90 minutes to two hours. And um, it's strength training, Olympic lifting, uh, anaerobic conditioning or CrossFit Metcons, and then some type of either skill work or accessory work at the end. And also like each of these things is kind of building flow state throughout the day. Like that is when I really drop in and, you know, I feel like I am just in flow hitting that hard workout. Your serotonin levels are raised. Um, and after that, I'll usually do a podcast, either my own podcast that I've been hosting for Restore Hyper Wellness, jumping on someone else's podcast, um, or having a meeting with someone. And again, my mind is firing on all cylinders immediately after that workout. So I like timing any kind of cognitive tasks immediately after workouts or immediately after recovery sessions. Um, after that, 
uh, refuel, eat here at the house. And then I'm in the mountains for 60 to 90 minutes every single day. And the mountains are 10 minutes from our house. So it's very accessible. Can mountain bike right from here, trail run right from here. Um, sometimes I drive 10, 15 minutes away. And mountain biking, trail running, rucking, those are the three activities I'm typically doing six to seven days per week. I like doing it outside and um, I like doing more skill-based activities rather than less skill-based activities. So mountain biking over road biking, trail running over road running. And again, because I just feel like I really drop into it more and the flow state is that much more enhanced by doing those activities where there's some skill involved or there's some risk involved. Um, after that, back at the house and we typically entertain. I either have someone new over here doing a sauna session, sauna and cold session, um, or I have friends over or brands I work with. And it's about a 90 minute recovery session going back and forth between a sauna at about 200 degrees and an ice barrel at about 42 to 45 degrees, 20 minutes in the sauna, five minutes in the cold. And, uh, <laughs> I love that video. Yeah. That's the, my girlfriend, Sarah and Nikki, and then, uh, Jake and, uh, who else was over that night? My buddy, Joey. Um, so yeah, we're always entertaining. Like sauna for me is community building. It's yeah. uh, a place to have really, really captive conversations with people and form deep bonds. So another one of these things where I feel like it's multitasking, like you're getting the recovery benefits from the sauna and cold, but you're also, you know, forming these deep bonds with people. Um, and I love meeting new people and having them over and doing these sauna sessions because yeah, again, I just feel like the, the bonds that we form in the sauna are incredible compared to bonds. I'm, uh, you know, formed anywhere else doing other activities. And then after that, usually barbecue at the house, uh, again, typically entertaining. We have people over here and cooking food, having a great conversation. I have about a 45 minute wind down routine in the evening where I'm either answering messages, emails on social media, or I'm trying to learn something. I'm watching some kind of podcast like this where, you know, I can take valuable lessons from others and then hit the hay around 10 PM, rinse and repeat, do it again the next day. Well, let me ask you. So, you know, one of the things I feel like both sauna and cold plunge as of late have really kind of hit the forefront of of everyone's minds. Everyone's seeing the benefits of them. They understand yep. those both individually, you know, sauna or cold plunge, but then also collectively bouncing back and forth as you mm -hmm. suggest. So, but I'm very curious, Eric, if you had to only pick one mm -hmm. hot or cold, which would it be? Um, so, I mean, where you're going to get the most bang for your buck is definitely going to be the cold exposure. You know, you hop in that tub that's 42 degrees for three minutes and the benefits are just profound. You know, your serotonin levels are going to be increased. Um, you know, you're, you're helping build your immune system. You're building stress resilience. I mean, one of the biggest things I've noticed from doing this consistently for five, six years now is it takes something monumental now to stress me out. Like my stress resilience is so high from doing this so often. Um, I think we all know the physical benefits of reducing inflammation. I mean, the only I'm 42, the only way I can train the high volume that I do day in and day out now is because of this recovery routine. So I, I would pick the cold just because, you know, in five minutes, you know, all of a sudden, like you just feel like this weight of the world is lifted off you sure. and you feel absolutely amazing. 
Um, I do really like the sauna too. I mean, if you have the time to spend in the sauna, I like that because that's where you can really form bonds with people. Yeah. What What is your, you know, are you alternating back and forth or are you going just a long sauna, long cold? What's your preference? Yeah. I mean, it varies. I it's, you know, at this point I've been doing it for so long. I feel like I have to vary it a bit, just like exercise in order to get the, you know, the same stimulus that I got when I first started doing it. But a typical routine would be three rounds of 20 minutes in the sauna at around 200 degrees and five minutes in the cold 42 to 45 degrees. Got a question here. Is the ice barrel. Okay. I think I know your answer or is it worth to save up for the cold plunge? So I, I work with Ice Barrel, just to be completely transparent. Um, I think that for a low-cost option, the Ice Barrel is an incredible option. They are coming out with a chilling unit, filtration system, and pump very soon. I've been testing various demo units for them. I would guess within the next three to four months, they'll have that on the market. Um, I have not personally used a cold plunge. I, I saw them at the CrossFit Games. I met them. I think they have an incredible option. Um, if you have, you know, the 5K, whatever it is to spend on it, you're not going to be, you know, displeased with with that option. Yeah, you got, you got team cold plunge down there with Derek, and then uh, you, got the, you, you got the ice barrel, and I'm – Throwing ice in a bathtub right now. So yeah, we've got all the options covered here. Don't I love it. I love uh, it. Yeah, we still get ice occasionally. I kind of like the nostalgia of, yeah. of having ice, especially if we have newcomers coming over, doing it for their first time. You know, I'll, I'll get some ice from Costco and just give them the, you know, the proper ice bath experience. <laughs> what are That's your tips for them if they've never done it before? Yeah, tips would be, uh, I mean, it helps a lot if you're starting in the sauna and then going into the cold because you're going in with a high core body temperature. So in a way, like I get more uncomfortable in the sauna now than I do in the ice. I'm looking forward to getting in the, in the cold water. Uh, but tips would be, I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, not freaking out immediately when you dunk. I think dunking is the hardest part. I think it's best to do that first because it makes the rest of it that much easier. And um, just getting your breathing under control, I think, is the most important part of it. So understanding that, yeah, it's a shock to your system. It's still a shock to, to my system. But the sooner you can get your breathing under control as soon after you dunk, the better off you're going to be. You don't want to just, you know, be hyperventilating in there. You want to breathe calm. And it helps, you know, doing some breath work beforehand, just, you know, some deep breaths in, deep breaths out. You don't want to do any kind of like crazy Wim Hof breathing right beforehand. You want to do something where you're calming your nervous system. So you're getting into it in that rest and digest state. That's interesting. Um, you mentioned you were at the CrossFit Games. Um, I've seen, you know, you've been at least doing the open since 2015 coming off of, of triathlons. Um, what, what attracted you to CrossFit versus triathlons and why did you kind of make that change over the last few years? I mean, I feel my best now, um, you know, knock on wood at 42, I feel better than I did when I was 32 competing at a high level in Ironman. I just, I think CrossFit it, it, uh, the heavy lifting, anaerobic conditioning, aerobic conditioning, the skill work component of it, it keeps me interested. And, you know, you're working all of your different energy systems by doing it. Whereas with triathlon, it was very one dimensional. You know, I could run, bike, and swim an unfathomable distance, but I couldn't lift heavy weights. I was doing very few anaerobic efforts. Um, you know, none of those gymnastics or time under tension type movements. So I just, 
my testosterone levels were lower back then and cortisol was high from the high amount of stress from the big, you know, high volume I was doing and, you know, lifting heavy weights and anaerobic efforts. I think going back and forth between doing that one day and then doing like a 45 minute aerobic session the next day is probably the best thing you can do for general wellness. So I like that CrossFit, you use all those different energy systems. I like feeling strong. I like having muscle mass during the Ironman years. My muscle mass had diminished quite a bit. Um, but I was doing CrossFit workouts even during those Ironman years, but I would kind of cherry pick classes to go to, you know, I would pick ones <laughs> where it was body weight movements, things yeah. I was good at. I wasn't going when it was heavy snatch day or, you know, when it was high volume ring muscle ups. So, um, yeah, I've, I've been doing CrossFit for geez, dating back to probably 2010, 2000, 2010. So 12 years, but again, I wasn't training like a CrossFit athlete. It was just kind of cherry picking classes here and there that I wanted to go to. So what are some of the lifts that you improved on? What was your back squat when you started, you know, when you quit the triathlons and now actually focused on building that strength? Yeah. Back, back squat in the triathlon years was probably 185. It was not heavy at all. Now it's close to 400. Um, deadlift back then, geez, maybe I don't know, 225 now, you know, 425, um, snatch, man, I'd be lucky if I could snatch 115 back then, 135, now 245 clean and jerk. Uh, I don't even know if I was doing any clean and jerks at all back then, but you know, maybe 155 now 300 plus. Um, so they've gone up tremendously and that's really the last three years that I've been focusing and training like a CrossFit athlete would train mm -hmm. where, you know, you're doing snatch pulls and clean pulls and, you know, breaking down the movements and, you know, perfecting each different component of it and practicing all of the skill work. And, you know, where I've really found a lot of value is in the accessory stuff. Um, you know, there was a, a period in time where I was training too much CrossFit and not doing enough accessory lifts to build the smaller muscles, tendons, and ligaments. So just by doing some functional bodybuilding type stuff at the end of my workouts has really helped tremendously, both with injury prevention and also making me much stronger in the, in the lifts. Did you have any issues with mobility coming out of that triathlon? Oh yeah. I mean, I couldn't overhead squat a PVC pipe during those triathlon years. My hips were so tight. Um, you know, I didn't do any real stretching. It was really just a lot of pause drills and just doing the movement, you know, by snatching often and doing overhead squats, pausing in that bottom position. I, I developed the mobility, same with wrist mobility. It was more just from, you know, holding that front rack position in the front squat with lightweight in the hole. And, you know, over time, like your body is going to adapt to what you're doing to it. So yeah, I wasn't doing any fancy drills or any kind of real, you know, mobility stuff. It was more just doing the lifts with lightweight and a lot of pause drills. Yeah. Looking back, do you think adding more of that strength training would have helped you with the triathlons or, or was it more important to kind of stay thinner in that yeah, there's definitely a trade-off. So I was one of the stronger triathletes out there, you know, where I was finishing, I kind of looked like an anomaly out there. Um, so it helped me like doing some CrossFit workouts, doing some strength work during those years, 100% helped me and also helped me not get injured because it's a highly repetitive sport. Um, having done more, I think could have helped even more, but there is a trade-off with muscle mass 
depending on where you want to finish in these. I mean, there's a reason why the guys winning Kona weigh 150. I believe the stat is for every pound of body weight, you're adding two seconds per mile on your run. Um, you know, there is some strength benefit to it, but yeah, I mean, a 180 pound person who, who has the same exact strength as a 160 pound person, the 160 pound person is going to be running 40 seconds per mile faster. So, you know, it's advantageous to have some strength and muscle, but I mean, there's no one who's 200 pounds that's going to win an Ironman triathlon. Yeah. Your current training, do you follow your own program or do you follow uh, one that's already written for, you know, general? Yep. yep. I loosely follow uh, Matt Frazier's HWPO. Okay. I, I follow his strength training uh, percentages and then I'll sometimes kind of veer off on my own with EMOMs conditioning. You yeah. know, I'll definitely look at what it is for the day, but I try to work now on a lot of my weaknesses. So barbell cycling for me is a major weakness and I'll, I'll typically throw in a lot more barbell stuff just to try and get better at that. Yeah. Do you, do you have aspirations to, to compete in the master's division, the games? You know what? I, I, uh, I'm getting close. Uh, and the last few years, it's not something I ever really thought about, like in my daily training session. Sure. When the open is here and quarterfinals and semifinals, it's on my mind. Um, I went to the games this year for the first time to spectate them and man, it was so cool to spectate. And that definitely gave me the itch, you know, now I definitely am thinking about it with each training session of like, okay, what can I do today to get me closer to the goal of, you know, being a master's athlete? Um, it's tough. I mean, 10 each age group, I'm typically in the mix of the top 50, and for me, it's really strength that is precluding me from getting there. It's, you know, my back squat, my deadlift um, aren't quite where they need to be. I need to put another 20 or 30 pounds on each of those lifts, which will obviously also carry over to some of those Olympic lifts. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's on my radar. I'm very interested in, in uh, putting forth the effort to get there. And I have backed off quite a bit on the endurance stuff. I'm not... You know, I used to ride two, three hours, you know, two or three times a week and go on, you know, 90 minute runs. Now it's very rare to do anything for over 90 minutes for aerobic activity. And more typically, um, I'm just doing like 60 minute aerobic activities. Do you work with anybody in the, you know, an ath any athletes in the CrossFit space? I mean, obviously, Chris Henshaw's built his, you know, platform coming off the triathlons and helping people improve their endurance has anybody reached out to you to work with you um to improve that side yeah, people reach out to me all the time but i'm not a trainer you know i do have a workout program online that i provide but i don't do any kind of one-on-one -on -one training um, i just don't have the bandwidth to be able to do that um, whenever someone asks me a question about it i love talking about it so i send long detailed audio messages back to people with you know hopefully helpful tips and same with iron man i have a lot of people still that reach out to me with iron man and i have all of my race reports that i wrote back in my iron man years so i gladly share those with people so i'm happy to help i just don't do anything you know one-on-one -on -one with people yeah uh when i was posting the the, the Instagram post to show that, you know, you're going to come on tonight. Uh, I felt like I was tagging brand after brand after brand. Uh, how do you determine and decide who you want to work with? 
Yeah. So, I mean, the first metric is it product or service that I'm going to use. Um, this was never intended to be a job for me. So I want to make sure that it continues just to be documenting my lifestyle and adding value. I don't want to stage photo shoots and stage stuff. So is it something that is going to weave in with my lifestyle that I enjoy using so I can authentically speak about it? Um, that's metric one. Metric two, um, pretty much every single brand I work with, I know the founders of the company, I know the executive team, I know their why, I've met with them in person, I have this deep relationship and bond with them. And oftentimes I invest in the company. So like, I wanna have that bond with the people that I work with. Um, and again, that just makes it so much more rewarding for me to wanna help them grow the company. And I think it's rewarding for them to really know who the person is that is creating content for them. Um, and then the third part is like, can I add value? Do I think it's a company where I can really move the needle for them because I want to feel valuable? I don't want to, I don't want to feel like a billboard. You know, I don't want to work with the largest companies in the world that are just paying me to, you know, to show something to an audience. Like I really want to help move the needle for the brands I work with. So I try to pick brands that are not everyone has heard of, you know, like a 10,000 in the early days, a cane sneakers, a beam where I can really help them grow the brand. And I think it's an, an amazing product. And, you know, also for my audience, I want to expose them to the latest and greatest. I saw the, the cane footwear. I thought that was, uh, did you work with them to create that? I think it, I mean, it looks like a, a croc alternative that, you know, you could actually walk around in. It, yeah, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. They, uh, they're an active recovery shoe, so they have these nodes on the footbed that stimulate circulation in your feet. But more than anything, they're just a great, a great lifestyle shoe. And we keep them in every single one of our vehicles because we're always jumping in cold streams. It's a great water shoe when you're walking around on slippery rocks. But I met John, the founder, at Brian Mazza's HPLT about a year and a half ago now. And he was also an investor in 10,000. And we just hit it off. I loved, you know, the design of the shoe. Um, and I loved like their why of building this active recovery shoe for people. And also like, you know, he's a serial entrepreneur. I knew he was well-connected. I liked his mission of who he was going to go after. They're starting to do a lot of licensing deals with professional teams and collegiate teams. And again, I just thought it was something where I thought I could add a lot of value with my audience in partnering with them. And then we just partnered on that movement as medicine shoe design that launched two or three weeks ago. And I think it's pretty close to sold out now. Um, we made a thousand of them. Hey, Eric, talk to us a little bit about that, that slogan movement is medicine. Yeah. So, I mean, this is kind of going back to those Ironman years of, you know, initially I was doing it to get to Kona, but then I realized like it was fueling the best version of me. You know, I didn't need alcohol anymore to fuel vulnerability. I had unlimited energy. I had tremendous mental clarity and it was all fueled from exercise, eating healthy, getting enough sleep. Um, so movement is medicine means, you know, moving for me often fuels medicine for my mind, my body, my emotional well-being. Um, and, you know, it's obviously providing at 42 longevity and health span. So I really think that all of these things should be thought of as medicine. <laughs> you know, it's something you can do every single day instead of, you know, prescription drugs or letting something bad happen where you have to, you know, go and get on some kind of prescription drug. You recently you had you'd mentioned HPLT and I want to I want to for sure get to that because that's coming up 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of the, is it the first of the year or the end of this year where you're doing something with HPLT and then also live better. So talk yeah. to us a little bit about what you're doing there. Cause that's, that's exciting. Yeah. So both very, very good friends. Um, Brian Mazza, HPLT. I've been to several of them. I think he has one coming up in November in Antigua. Yeah. Um, I will not be, I will not be at that one. Unfortunately, I, um, I have high rocks that whole month. That's kind of consuming my travels, but, uh, Brian just reached out to me three days ago and asked if I would co-host the Denver HPLT, which is going to be March 24th until the 27th. And HPLT stands for high performance lifestyle retreat. And I mean, it's kind of a day in my life that he has created where, you know, it's days that are built around health and wellness, recovery, eating good food, having conversations with like-minded people. And he has incredible, incredible speakers. I don't want to give away who we're talking to, but he's had David Goggins at uh, prior events. Um, Matt Frazier spoke at one of them. A lot of the founders of the companies. Uh, for the, the gear that he's passing out, they, they come and speak and tell their entrepreneurial story. So yeah, you get to kind of live a day in the life with exercise, meeting amazing people, having great conversations. And, you know, I always get so much more out of it than just fun. Like again, meeting John from Kane through HPLT. I've met some incredible people by attending these because it's attracting, you know, people that are just, that, that are pushing the ball forward every day that are looking for incremental improvement. So that one, that's interesting. So that one's actually happening. I turned 40 on March 25th. Maybe I should actually just come out to that. Cause that'd you be sure should. 40th birthday. I'll talk to the wife about that. You know? Hell yeah. That'd be great. Come and stay with us. Um, and then live better. Uh, Jason and Brett in Chicago. I went on one of their retreats in Tulum in 2019, I believe it was. And um, there's our, based around health and wellness as, as, as well. Not quite as, you know, go, go, go as, as the HPLT events. They do journaling and they do sound baths and yoga, um, more meditative type practices. Yeah, the best weekend ever. Yep. So um, they asked me to co-host their two that they're doing at Savannah, which is a wellness resort that Sarah and I went to back in June and just fell in love with the property. It's a whole resort based around health and wellness with hydration st uh, stations all over the place. They have a sauna. They have an aqua vitality circuit. So hot, hot tubs, cold plunges. They do sound baths. Um, they have like 40 different types of wellness activities that you can do every single day, ranging from yoga to foam rolling. Um, it's really a special property. So we're going to be doing these three-day retreats at Savannah. Um, and I think people, again, it's going to attract just a lot of like-minded people. And, you know, I think you're going to walk away with some valuable connections and also learning. Yeah. The first time I, I heard about you, Derek brought up, uh, what did he say? Um, the Coachella for fitness. Yeah. Uh, you're throwing that out. Is that, is that still being talked about? Sure is. Uh, nothing planned, but yeah, I want that to happen. I think that'd be so fun to, you know, just envision, you know, in like Palm Springs in the desert, you know, all of these different workouts that you can attend ranging from CrossFit to yoga to, you know, trail races, whatever. And then there's saunas all over the place, cold plunges all over the place. And then you have Drake playing, you know, incredible musicians <laughs> coming. And oh man, I just feel like it would be such a special 
such a special event. I know Jesse Gitzler is starting to do, you know, some things like this on a little smaller mm-hmm. scale, but I've heard that his events are combining music with fun, with, you know, sauna, cold plunge, um, you know, challenging yourself through physical endeavors. So I'm stoked that he's doing that. And yeah, would love to figure out how to do this on a big scale. That's awesome. Uh, definitely to keep an eye out for that. You talk a lot about, building brands, building personal brands or, you know, um, consumer brands. Um, can you kind of go into, you know, what you, uh, what strategies others can take from what you're, you've learned uh, mm-hmm. to, to build their personal brand? Yeah, definitely. So I just posted this recently on social media, but the biggest advice I give is go narrow and deep. You know, right now there's so many people that are trying to command attention in order to get attention now, I feel like you have to be known for something. So pick a thread that you're really, really knowledgeable about and that you enjoy doing every single day and go narrow and deep on it. So the example I gave in that Instagram post was my friend Jacob Zemer in New York, who he's a personal trainer um, and also does a lot of nutrition coaching. And his whole Instagram has now, and probably TikTok and other platforms he's on, um, is around going into a grocery store, picking up a, an item and talking about the macros and talking about why it's healthy or not healthy. And you're following him because you know exactly what you're going to get. But at the same time, there's an element of surprise, like where is he going to be next? What is he going to review next? So you continue tuning in to continue learning. So narrow and deep, have some kind of element of surprise, pick something that you're super passionate about and something where you feel like you have this unique value that you can add. And then the second part is um, pick a pick a direction, you know, add value, educate, evoke some kind of emotion, make people laugh, inspire people. I think that's the other component to building a good personal brand. And these carry over to consumer brands as well. And then consumer brands, I specifically said, um, like selling your why, not your what. So that regenerative agriculture farm that we went to. Um, that we spent two days with, you know, they've been doing it for 25 years. They know their why and their whole thing is their why. Like they want to do things that are good for the ecosystem and good for you. So they do that through regenerative agriculture and, and, you know, selling buffalo meat. So, you know, they're selling their why to the world instead of like just, you know, putting their what in front of you all of the time. And then um, I think good brands like 10,000, they build community. They make you feel like you're part of something. You're buying into a lifestyle. You're buying to be part of that community. BPN is another great example of this where, you know, you're buying into Nick Bear's Go One More. You're buying into a certain lifestyle and you feel like you're part of a tribe by buying their products. So let me, I want to, I want to toss that question back to you, Eric. So what, what do you want to be known for at the end of the day? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, changing my life 15 years ago to be based around health and wellness fueled the best version of me. And I think that's what I want to be known for is helping provide some of those things that really made me fire on all cylinders so other people can implement some of these. And I realize I have a lot of time in the day to do this and, you know, I'm able to make a living off of it. But, you know, if you can pick up cold exposure from me and that benefits you by making you a better father, a better husband, a better business owner, a better employee, you know, I just want to provide these little tidbits to base your days around where, you know, you can be the best version of yourself. You know, I think think a lot of people... Nowadays, obviously, they're just bombarded with 
information. We've, we've got access to more information than we've ever had before. Mm -hmm. So the gear things like, you know, I know I need to eat well and I need to sleep, you know, good quality sleep and cold exposure and sauna and work out it just, and the list goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. uh, what would be, if someone says I have time for one thing, Eric, mm -hmm. what would be the one thing that you would like, what would be the, the first step you would have someone start at for both and maybe we need to separate the question into like, what would be a one thing for a short term change? Mm -hmm. And then what would be one thing that you know is going to pay dividends down the road? Yeah. I mean, I kind of think the answer is the same for both movement. Movement is medicine. I think exercise is where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. And again, that's going back to, I think it's best if you're lifting heavy weights, doing complex lifts and doing anaerobic conditioning on that same day. And then the next day doing some kind of aerobic activity, it could be walking, hiking outdoors, ideally. Um, but balancing those things, that's your exercise routine. I think that's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck because it's going to fuel this snowball effect where you're going to sleep better. You're going to make healthier eating decisions. You're probably going to want to start some kind of recovery routine so that you can continue, you know, exercising. So I think exercise is the most important within that pyramid. Beautiful. Are you big on goal setting? Um, I am big on goal setting, but I am bigger on incremental improvement every day. Like, you know, for me, definitely at one time I had the goal of Kona and I had to backtrack my way into that. So I can't say that I have ambitious goals now, but I've backtracked my way into a structure that works really well for me that is built around health and wellness. So I think goals help you backtrack your way into figuring out daily routines that you can just stack on top of each other that will get you to your goal. But ultimately, you know, I think you need to do it for yourself. I think goals, you know, external goals are great. I want to look a certain way. I want to do well in this race, but, um, to make it a lifestyle, it's really enjoying the daily structure of it. I'll leave you with one more question. You talked about you know, year after year, you kind of think of one thing that you kind of improve on, whether it's sleep or nutrition. Have you thought about next year? Yeah. So for me, the biggest thing I would like to tackle in the future is like stillness and solitude. Um, you know, I, I definitely have not tackled that meditation. You know, I, I, I label meditation as moving meditation. When I'm out mountain biking, that's my meditation, but I'm doing something. So I think for me, I would love to get better at just stillness about solitude and actual meditation. So that's kind of the chapter in the future that I'm looking to master. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day to, to talk with us. And uh, hopefully people that haven't heard about you yet can, can follow you there out on Instagram and and see all of the cool things that you do every day. And um, we'll definitely have to catch up when you're in Nashville in a few months. Yeah. Yeah. I'll hit you guys up and do the same when you're in Denver. You know, again, we have space here. We love hosting people. So if you do want to come, Derek, to HPLT, <laughs> let me know. And uh, yeah, we'll host you guys here. We'll do it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Eric. And uh, have a great rest of the evening. Enjoy some of that, uh, that meat. Hopefully it'll grill up. Enjoy. We will. We will. Great chatting with you guys. Thanks for all tuning right. in, everybody. Yeah.